Welcome, everyone. So good to have all of you at all of our churches this morning, uh, Bluntstown, Chipley, Mariana. We're so glad to have you as we're in our second week of our series entitled Polarizing. And this is a series that we're doing that I know is making all of us uncomfortable in a really good way just because of the feedback I got from last Sunday's conversation. Because what it's doing is it's leading us to discover what it really means to have a or to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ, and it is helping us better live out what it means to be for the people in our community, in our country, and in our world. So I just wanna say thanks again for joining us on this four-week sermon series or four conversations that are based upon John chapter 17, if you wanna know kind of the foundation of this series. And I would encourage you to go back and read through that chapter several times as we're going through this series. Now, as we reminded you last week, we're coming up on July the 4th, and um, July the 4th is a great reminder to be for others, and that's a good thing, but over the past few years, the holiday of July the 4th has kind of brought all the political tensions into the spotlight, and that's not such a good thing. And with that being said, let me just go ahead and say, just because I mentioned the word politics, doesn't, don't, don't mean that um, we're, this is a political conversation in the sense that we don't take sides politically as a church. But here's the thing. When things happening in the culture intersect with the teaching of Jesus, we absolutely feel like we need to have a conversation about it. And we are in another one of those seasons where it's just a very emotionally charged season. And so I think it's really important to kind of remind all of us who follow Jesus as our leader and our king, what our leader, what our king, Jesus told us which side we should choose. Now, as followers of Jesus, we absolutely believe, as we shared last week, difference is inevitable, but division is a choice. I mean, there's always gonna be differences between people. My wife and I have been married 35 years, and we have differences, but division is a choice. And this is true in every area of our life. But here's the thing, and this is why this conversation is so important. Too many people, even people who call themselves followers of Jesus, have decided that they were going to embrace division, which is why we are experiencing this intense polarization that we're experiencing in our nation. Now, here's the question I have for you to kind of consider as we're going through this four-week sermon series, and that is this. If you could help make this intense polarization go away, would you, as a follower of Jesus Christ, be willing to do that? Would you lean in and be willing to do that? And I absolutely believe you would because you are a church that is for other people. You are a church that is about other people's hearts being transformed by the love and the grace of Jesus Christ. 
And here's the thing. We absolutely believe, based upon God's word, there is a way to make this intense polarization go away. And in doing so, make a difference in our communities, make a difference in our, in our country, and make a difference in our world if we will change one thing. So I ask you a couple of questions to help us understand what is the one thing that we need to change in order to make this polarization go away. Now, I'm going to tell you something. These questions are going to cause you to feel a little uncomfortable, and that's okay because every once in a while we need to feel uncomfortable to really see and look in the mirror to see where we're at. But I want you to seriously think about them. So everybody ready at all of our churches? Here we go. Here's the questions. Is there a notable difference? And the key phrase here is notable difference. Is there a notable difference between Republican Jesus followers and Republican non-Jesus followers? In other words, is there a notable difference between Republican Jesus followers and non-Republican non, non-Jesus followers in their actions and their reactions regarding politics? Do, do they love differently? Do they talk differently? Do they treat people differently? Do they handle conflict differently when it comes to politics? Now, let me give the Democrats their chance. Is there a notable difference? Again, the key phrase is notable difference between Democratic Jesus followers and Democratic non-Jesus followers. In other words, again, is there a notable difference between Democratic Jesus followers and Democratic non-Jesus followers in their actions and their reactions regarding politics? Do they love differently? Do they talk differently? Do they treat people differently? Do they handle conflict differently when it comes to politics? And if we're real serious and if we're real honest about reflecting on this question, we all know that the answer is no. In fact, I would suggest the biggest problem in our country is that there is no noticeable difference between Christians and non-Christians when it comes to their actions and their reactions about politics. And you go, well, how, do you, how, how can you say that? I mean, think about it. Have you ever heard political leaders or have you ever heard political analysts or have you ever heard your neighbors point out, oh my goodness, there is so much difference between Christians and non-Christians when it comes to politics. I mean, have you ever heard people say things like, wow, those Christian Republicans or those Christian Democrats, they are so different than the non-Christian Republicans and the non-Christian Democrats. I mean, those Christian Republicans, Democrats, they are so loving, they are so respectful, they are so considerate, considerate of other people, even other people that disagree with them about party lines. And you go, why does that matter? Well, here's why that matters. Because we believe that as followers of Jesus, we should be different than those who don't follow Jesus. Because as we learned last week from John chapter 17, Jesus teaches very clearly that our influence, our impact, our credibility as followers of Jesus on this world is directly tied to the unity that we display in the body of Christ. So to get us focusing on unity as our priority, as we learned last week as Jesus' command from John chapter 17, I thought I'd like to play a little fun game for just a moment. You ready? The game is called Finish This Sentence. Now, here's the thing. All, the, all of our churches, Blunt Town, Chipley, Mariana, y'all listen to this, how we're going to play this game. 
What I'm gonna do is I'm gonna put two sentences up on the screen. And I want you to finish these sentences in your mind. (laughs) Don't say the answer that you're thinking out loud. Remember, we're working on unity here. Okay, so everybody ready? Bluntstown, Chipley, Mariana, everybody ready? Okay, all right, here we go. Here's the first one. Republicans are all, finish the sentence in your mind. Here's the second sentence. Democrats are all, go ahead and finish that sentence in your mind as well. Now, here's the thing. It's interesting. When you really think about how you finished each one of these sentences is we tend to assume that everyone in a certain group is all the same. In fact, you might have said something like this. Republicans are all heartless. Do you know why they vote the way they vote? They're just like heartless conservatives. They don't care about the poor. They're just out to protect the rich. And my question to you would be, well, have you met them all? Have you talked to them all? Have you had a conversation with every one of them? You go, oh, no, no, no. I just know you'd never be a Republican unless you're heartless. Or maybe you finish this sentence like this. Democrats, they're just all socialist. They just want to take all of our hard-earned money and give it to people who don't want to work. They're just all socialists. And my question to you would be this. Have you met them all? Have you talked to them all? And you go, oh, I don't need to. I mean, they're Democrats. I mean, how could you be a Democrat if you weren't like a liberal socialist? And that is such a major assumption that we make about both groups of people. We classify everybody to be the same. Have you noticed how we tend to do that? Do you know why we do that? Here's why we do that. It's easier to vilify a group than an individual. It's so much easier to vilify and demonize and generalize a group. All of those rich people, all of those people who live in that neighborhood, all those people on welfare, all those Republicans, all those Democrats, all those blacks, all those whites, all those Hispanics, all those Asians. You can vilify a group. However, it is much more difficult to vilify someone when you see them for who they really are, for who God made them to be. Especially when you remember that every person that you encounter, every person that you write off, every person that you get angry with and you just treat them in a diminishing kind of way is a person that Jesus Christ created and Jesus Christ died on the cross for in order to redeem them. Now, here's the thing. When you sit down across the table from someone who you totally disagree with and you listen to their story and you get to know them, when you hear their point of view, while you may still disagree, you find yourself better understanding where they're coming from. And you might just, are you ready for this? You might just become friends with them even though you disagree with them. And by the way, let me say this. You can only win a friend to Jesus. Let me, let me say that one more time. You can only win a friend to Jesus. You will never lead someone to Jesus who sees you as their foe. You will never lead someone to Jesus who feels condemned by you. And we have forgotten that in the church. And we say we're all about saving souls but you only lead someone who sees you as a friend to Jesus. Never 
anyone who sees you as their foe or condemned by you. Now, some of you are sitting there and going, ooh, you're stretching me. I don't, I don't think I could sit down and listen to someone who's a Republican, or I don't think I could sit down and listen to someone who's a Democrat. I don't think I could do that. They may think I'm agreeing with them. But understand, listening doesn't mean that you agree. Listening shows that you value the person more than you value your opinion or your position because people matter more than party positions. But the truth is we tend to forget or not think about it. In fact, you understand this, that emotionally mature, rational human beings, they don't fall for this idea that everybody in a group is exactly the same. It's why most of us resist labels because we're like, no, no, I'm an individual, I am unique. And the other thing is, we're all too smart to fall for that kind of rhetoric. I mean, we know better. Everybody is an individual. I mean, if you're a follower of Jesus, you know that even though you might be a Republican, there are some good Democrats out there. Or even though you're a follower of Jesus and you're a Democrat, there are some good Republicans out there. But most of you know, if you're a follower of Jesus, you know that there is no political party, there is no politician that is your savior, that is the hope for your future. You are part of a better party. And that's where you put your hope as a follower of Jesus. Listen, it is, a, it is fine. Please, please don't miss this because this question came back and said, should we not have an opinion about politics? If you weren't here last week, I said, yeah, absolutely. I have all kinds of opinions about politics. You don't, you'll never hear my opinions about politics, but if you're my family, you will. In fact, I have so many opinions about politics, I think I should be the president of the United States. You know what I mean? That's kind of the way, that's how opinionated I am. But my thing as a Jesus follower that's not the primary thing you need to understand about me. See, it's fine to have opinions on politics, but nobody dies and goes to Washington, D.C. <laughs> when people die, they step into eternity. So there are some things that are way more important than politics. And that is people's souls. Politics will not save the souls of people. But folks, we're talking about this issue because too many of us as Jesus followers have forgotten and we're treating some politician and some kind of political party out there like they are the hope of the world, that they're the hope of somebody's eternity and somebody's future. And what we're doing is we're letting politics divide the church and destroy the testimony of the church that Jesus died for to unite in spite of our differences. So the big question I want you to consider today is this, as a follower of Jesus Christ, is this. Are you willing to evaluate your politics through the filter of our faith instead of creating a version of faith that supports your politics? And I'm just gonna tell you, this is hard to do. It's hard for me to do. It's hard for you to do. In fact, when, when I say this, most of you go, I, I don't even think I have a problem with that. But you do. Because here's why, if you believe Jesus would be a Republican or side with the Republicans, or if you believe that Jesus would be a Democrat or side with the Democrats, then you have fallen into the trap of shaping your faith to support your politics. But here's the thing I wanna tell you. For those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, we cannot be first and foremost party people. And when we talk about party people, we're not talking about what you did in your freshman year in college. We're talking about political party 
people. See, we must be Jesus-minded kingdom people first and foremost. And and when we talk about being fully devoted followers of Jesus, kingdom-minded, Jesus followers first and foremost, listen, we mean we are people who not only see Jesus as our savior and our forgiver, we also have to see Jesus as our king who is worthy of our full obedience and allegiance. I'm telling you folks, this is important because many of us who follow Jesus, we've forgotten what it means to be Christian. Let me say that one more time. Many of us who followers of Jesus, we have forgotten what it means to be Christian. See, we have reduced Christianity to just believing rather than following. Our view of Christianity has reduced Jesus to forgiver and savior and friend. And while Jesus is our forgiver and our savior and friend, he is also our Messiah. There you go. What do you mean by that? Well, the word Christ that we oftentimes use to say who Jesus is, is a transliteration of the Greek for the Hebrew word Messiah. And the word Messiah means God's anointed one or king. So in the New Testament, whenever someone used the word Christ, they were not using his name. Christ is not his name. Christ is his position. Jesus is his name. So Christ means God's anointed one. Anytime you say Jesus Christ, you're saying Jesus, his name is Jesus. Christ is his position. He's God's anointed one. He's king. So in the New Testament, Jesus is not just seen by his early followers as forgiver, savior, and friend, but he's seen as king, the authority of our lives. Forgiver and savior is what Jesus does, but king is who he is. And whenever Jesus is reduced to only forgiver, savior, and friend, instead of king, there will be lesser kings on the throne of our heart. And for many of us, those lesser kings are politicians or political parties. But do you know what kingdom-minded Jesus followers do as they see him as their leader and their king? When forced to choose between the lesser, because you've heard this in every time there's an election, why I just have to choose between the lesser of the two evils. But do you know what Jesus-minded kingdom followers do? when they are called to choose between the lesser of the two evils, they call out both evils. When forced to choose between two imperfect parties or platforms, they address the imperfections in both platforms or parties because the party doesn't take precedent over the kingdom that Jesus came to introduce to this world. In fact, when you study the New Testament, this is exactly what the earlier followers of Jesus Christ did. They engaged in what we might call, and you might write this phrase down, culturally disruptive unity. In a world where politics and power and wealth and Roman citizenship were everything, kind of sounds like our world, doesn't it? Politics, power, wealth, and Roman citizenship were everything. These early followers of Jesus Christ, they shook it all up. In fact, one writer said this. They said, classes of people 
whose circles rarely, rarely overlapped, came together regularly and voluntarily to worship their king, the crucified and the risen Jesus. And this was so baffling to the people in the Roman culture because everybody stayed in their own group. Jews only hung out with Jews. Rich only ran with the rich. Roman citizens re remained in their circle of Roman citizens, but not these new kingdom-minded Jesus followers. I mean, they seemed to ignore the racism and the segregation and the prejudice of their day to mix freely, regularly, and voluntarily to worship their king, worship their king the crucified and risen Jesus. And I'm telling you folks, this was in direct opposition to everything that the Roman Empire was built on, which made it disturbing to the Roman Empire leaders. It made it unsettling to them. So guess what happened? The Roman Empire, they tried to force those kingdom-minded Jesus followers to pledge their allegiance to the political power of Rome and to declare that Caesar is Lord and King because they saw this behavior as a huge threat to everything that they had built. But these new kingdom-minded Jesus followers, they understood, no, Jesus is our king. And he demanded and he requires full allegiance and obedience. Therefore, early Christians were not willing to give allegiance to Caesar, to Nero, or even to Herod. And that's why the Roman Empire was very suspicious of Christians, not because of what they believed, but because of what they did not believe. See, Roman didn't care that they believed in a God because Rome, they believed in a lot of gods, right? Rome had a problem when you claimed that your God was the only God and there weren't all these other multiple gods. See, Rome had a problem, this was a big one, when you would declare that Caesar is Lord because you believe that Jesus is Lord and King. So these first century Christians, they were not trying to be a shifting political kind of movement. They were shifting allegiance from following a earthly king to following Jesus as their king. And that's why first century followers of Jesus were called Christians in contrast to Herodians or Nerodians. In fact, this is one of the primary reasons that early Christians were persecuted because they said Jesus was king, not a political power or not a political party. But in spite of this severe persecution, early Christians, they kept mixing and they kept meeting regularly to voluntarily worship their, their king, the crucified, risen Jesus. And the question is, why? Well, simple. Because he had come to establish a new kingdom, a different kind of kingdom, a disruptive kingdom built on love. Make sure you understand that. See, most, of, most political sites, it's not a disruptive kingdom or, or agenda built on love. Jesus said, no, no, no. I'm building a different kind of kingdom, a disruptive kingdom built on love where everyone was invited and everyone was equal. And here's the thing, we can't fully understand today just how shocking this is, but I want you to listen to the Apostle Paul's description and how he described this in Galatians chapter three, verse 28. And we're only using one verse today because this verse is so powerful. Next week, come back and we'll give you a bunch more verses. But today we're just gonna look at this one verse because when you unpack it and you go, oh my goodness, this is powerful. Here's what he wrote. He says, there is neither Jew nor Gentile. And I'm sure when the, Gent or the Jews read this, they're thinking and saying something to the Apostle Paul, whoa, whoa, whoa. I, I think you're taking this too far, Paul. 
I mean, God is our God. We're his special people. We're his chosen people. He loves us more than the Gentiles. Don't be telling us now that we're on equal footing. Don't tell me I got to go to those Gentile homes and get those Gentile germs. And oh, by the way, Paul, have you heard the music they listen to them Gentiles? Some of your mamas said that to you. Don't you listen to that Gentile music, right? Do you not understand? Like, don't you understand their ideology about life? Do you see the clothes they wear? I'm not going to be like that. And I'm sure the Gentiles, when they read this, they're going, whoa, 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 hang on just a second. Paul, you're saying we're equal to the Jews? I mean, they have treated us like second-class citizens for centuries. They won't let us date their daughters. They eat weird stuff and they wear strange stuff. We don't have anything in common. And the Apostle Paul is saying, listen, those days are over. There's a new kingdom now. There's a new king who's come to reverse the order of things. All that stuff that used to divide you is now unified by Jesus who unites you because you're all, every one of you, all you Jews, all you Gentiles are invited to be part of God's kingdom, part of God's forever family. And that messed them up. But I think this next statement really blew their minds because they're living in a Roman empire whose economy and foundation was built on slavery. And just as much as it is self-evident to us that slavery is and was evil, somehow in their mind, it was self-evident to them that slavery was justified. And the apostle Paul blows that up when he says, and oh, by the way, there is neither slave nor free. And I'm sure they're going, so you're telling me that a slave is on equal footing with his or her master. And the apostle Paul says, yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. That person who has been a slave is just as valuable to God as the one who thought they owned them. Jesus sees them just like he sees you and he sees me. They have equal value, dignity, and worth. And I'm telling you, these four words alone, neither slave nor free, created culturally disruptive unity. But the apostle Paul is not done. He says, nor is there male and female. And in a world that he was writing to where women had virtually no rights, they weren't treated with any kind of dignity except for maybe a few who attained some kind of extravagant wealth. This was absolutely mind-blowing because women in that culture often became slaves and the one who weren't slaves were seen as inferior citizens, even inferior within their own families and in their own households. And along comes the apostle Paul and he just levels the playing fields and he let all the men know that women are equal to them in Jesus' kingdom. And you go, why does he say this? Why does he give us these three statements? There's neither Jew nor Gentile, slave or free, male or female. Notice why in the last part of this verse, he says, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Literally, he says, there is no difference in the value, dignity, and worth of any person out there. Everyone is equal in the kingdom of Jesus. And I'm telling you, this was so disruptive, but it was based on love. In fact, it was so disruptive that the Romans realized that if this movement, this ideology, this Jesus kingdom thinking mindset, if it caught on, it would overthrow the Roman empire as it was. And you know what? It did. It absolutely did. Not only did it catch on and change the Roman world, 
but it was a significant influence in shaping our Western world today. Now, here's the thing. If those early followers of Jesus who came from different classes and backgrounds that were so different from one another, if they learned how to mix and to meet and live united, then what excuse do we have as followers of Jesus Christ? I mean, their culturally disruptive unity, it was based on loving others. And that's why we are here today. So how can we let skin color divide us? How can we let political party or political issues divide us? How can you put your political view above the person beside you? That person that is beside you, that's your neighbor, that works with you in your office, in your workplace is far worth more than your opinion or view. That person matters more than who's right about some kind of political opinion. Now, here's the thing. I, I am not downplaying. Don't miss this. I am not downplaying that there are, in fact, some important issues that we all should be passionate about. And in fact, you may never understand how someone can call themselves a Christian and be for this or call themselves a Christian and be against this. And I'm not telling you to ignore those issues that you're passionate about. But remember, you can still be passionate about certain issues and still value all people. Let me say that one more time. You can still be passionate about certain issues and still value all people. You can still be passionate about certain issues and not vilify someone or a group of someone who disagree with you. Because politics is not going to change their view. Jesus is going to change and transform their view. So as followers of Jesus, we can be passionate about certain kind of issues and still demonstrate the kind of culturally disruptive unity that can earn us influence and credibility in a watching world so that they will listen and hear the gospel message. Or to say it another way, you don't have to understand me or agree with me to love me. I don't have to understand you or agree with you to love you. Listen, if I had to understand my wife to love her, it never happened. If she had to understand me to love me, it would never happen, right? I mean, you'll spend your whole life learning to understand your spouse and you won't ever agree with your spouse completely. But we have this mindset that we have to agree in order to love. But listen, that's what love is. It's loving people who are different than us. So here's the thing we have to understand. Jesus did not come to prop up a political party. Jesus didn't come to take sides politically. No, Jesus came to take over. Jesus was the king who came to reverse the order of things. And that's what the apostle Paul was saying in the letter to Galatians. He did not come to endorse a political worldview. He came to completely, don't miss this, he came to completely replace what was in place and introduce a new worldview that was built on loving the you beside of you. And whenever we try to edit Jesus to fit into a political platform, we rob the world of the only message that can change the world, the gospel of Jesus Christ. So this week, my challenge to you is this. Choose to value people as Jesus does. And while we may not always agree on what's best politically, let's agree that's what's best for people is that we treat them with love. That's what's best because every person matters to God. Well, let's reach across the aisle and show our community 
what it looks like for black and brown and white and men and women and Democrats and Republicans to be united around a bigger purpose than ourselves. And what's that bigger purpose than ourselves? It is reaching a lost world for Jesus, folks. That's the only thing that is going to change our country. Politics will not. It is when people are loving people the way Jesus loved because they have been transformed through the grace and the forgiveness of Jesus. Because here's, a, I'll say this again. People are only gonna change when their hearts are changed by Jesus. In other words, here, here's the thing you understand. Our passion for reaching a lost world should be greater than our passion for politics. But let me just say something. I had a mentor who's in his late 80s. He said, Paul, do you know the reason that Christians get so amped up about politics? I said, no, tell me why. He says, because it's their excuse not to be amped up about winning their lost neighbor to Jesus. So let's not act like our political party or, our polit or some politician is our savior. Instead, let's disagree politically, but let's love unconditionally and pray for unity so that the world, as Jesus said in John 17, when he prayed for you and I to be connected and unified, he said, so that the world will know who Jesus is and how much Jesus loves them. Listen, we cannot be first and foremost party people. We must be first and foremost kingdom of God people. Because here's the thing, whenever you put Jesus and his kingdom over politics, you can stand in the middle and you can reach both sides from a position of love. Listen, the best thing we can do if we call ourselves followers of Jesus is not to take a side. It's not between Democrat, it's not between Republican, Republican and all those things. It's to choose the side of love. It's to choose love over hypocrisy and unity over division. It's to live in such a way that there is a notable and noteworthy difference between Christians and non-Christians of both political parties. It's to look and to live more and love like our leader and our king. Every time this week you say Jesus and then you add Christ, remember he is your king and he demands full obedience and allegiance. So we don't get to determine what it looks like to follow our king. He showed us what it looks like, acts like, sounds like, and behaves like. And he says, I want you to love one another as I've loved you. Listen, this is our opportunity to love others as our king and our leader loved us. And I'm telling you folks, as I said last week, the faith of the next generation and the faith of a lost generation, they hang in the balance of how we live this out. So let's disagree politically, love unconditionally and pray for unity so that the world will know who Jesus is and how much he loves them. Because when our world experiences his love and their hearts are transformed, then they will begin to love and our world will be changed. Our nation will be changed. Our community will be changed. Transformed hearts will change the world, not political parties. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I pray that you help us to live, living out this call to love, living out this commitment to unity so that we, through love, create culturally disruptive unity. God, God, we see that the very government that was persecuting 
first century Christians. Some 300 years later, they made the religion they outlawed, Christianity, the faith they outlawed. They made it. This is gonna be what we focus on, Christianity. God, it turned a, it turned a very pagan, dark world, the Roman Empire upside down, loved it. Not agreeing about everything, not approving about everything, but loving as you loved us. God, I pray that you help us become more passionate about reaching a lost world for Jesus than we are about our politics, because that's the only thing that's gonna push back the darkness and turn on the light in this world as we're gonna see in the next couple of weeks. God, I thank you for your incredible grace and kindness to us that you, you don't condemn us when we don't get this right. You just continue to reach out to us and help us to get back on our feet. You teach us how to love as we've been loved by you. We give you thanks and we're excited about how we're gonna see our communities change and how that could potentially affect our, our, our country and our world as we love, as we've been loved by you. In Jesus' name, we give you thanks. Amen. Hey everyone, have a great day. Happy Father's Day. We'll see you next Sunday.